Wonder how many of you this morning have a vision for your life. I hope it'll be hard for you to hang around Summit and remain visionless. I want to challenge everybody, as long as I live, get a vision for your life. Proverbs says, without a vision, people perish. A better translation says, people go wild. Another one says, live unrestrained or undisciplined. Discipline does not come from laws. Discipline comes from vision. Don't try to motivate people in what not to do by law. It won't work. You're motivated by a vision. When I want something so bad, I'll do whatever it takes to get it. Now you're in. That vision just put a desire in you greater than the pain of what you have to sacrifice to get there. If you're an athlete, we're coming up to the Olympics and all, what'll get you out of bed on a cold, icy, minus degree day? What'll keep you from eating chocolate cake? A vision of winning a medal in the Olympics. So you're willing, you want that worse than you want to stay in bed or eat chocolate or go to the gym and work out. What drives you to do what your flesh doesn't want to do is a vision. You got to want something that bad that you'll do whatever it takes in order to achieve it. Otherwise, you drift and you get caught for DUI and a rented yellow Lamborghini in South Beach, Miami with $75,001 bills with strippers, and you're called stupid. No vision. Talent, money, celebrity, but it'll be short-lived with no vision of why God gave you that. Well, last week I spoke about connecting your vision with the purpose of God. And we spoke about not just living a life, but living larger than your present life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, He says, I'd like to give you something more than normal, routine, average, get by, hang in there, survive, mediocre life. I'd like you to live larger than life. Jesus said, I came to give you an effervescent, overflowing, abundant life. If your life sucks, it's not God's fault. God does not ordain you to have a mediocre, boring life. You've got to know this Creator and get to know Him to know, man, He's in love with me. This guy can make everything, the unique animals in the world, the planets, the solar systems. Scientists still can't figure out how God did stuff. And this God lives in you if you're a follower of Jesus. So how in the world could He say, well, for you, hmm, I'll just give you a little old wormy, sucky life. He said, I've come to give you abundant life. Now, let's get this plan going. We saw back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, that the Lord spoke to David in the last years of his life. And he said, David, when your days are over and you sleep with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, and I will establish his kingdom. In other words, after you're gone from this earth, David, your life can go on and on. You've had a great life, but it's coming to an end. And here's my promise to you. Your life can go beyond your lifetime. Your life, your commitment, your sacrifice, your principles, your values, your involvement, that can go on and on through generations to come. Although you're gone from the earth, you're still speaking through the next generation and the next generation so that what you have lived and what you have done can live on after you. And we're all called to do that. 
We got to live and think larger than 75 years in retirement, a gold watch, or Social Security. We've got to think beyond this lifetime. We want to live in such a way as to live beyond our lifetime so that our effort, our sacrifice, our investment, and our work can go on and on. You know, while we'll leave this planet like you, rich or poor, no matter what background you come from or nutrition you eat, you will die. You will die. You will exit planet Earth one day. Let's let something live on in a legacy to the next generation that we laid our lives down for. Thirty years ago with the U-Haul at two girls and the cash from a sold house, we took a gamble, we took a risk, we took a chance to start a church. I didn't have partners. I didn't have monthly contributors. We had no assets. We had no equipment. We owned no real estate. We had nothing. But we got out of the boat and took a big risk. That's why I am probably not real endearing to people who want to sit around, suck their thumb, and eat nachos and watch TV. If you're not after a life of adventure, you won't like being around here. I want to get all the life out of the days I live that I possibly can. I don't want to come up short and have the Lord say, well, dude, that's what you could have been. That's what you could have had. But no, you are remote control and Doritos. That's all you wanted, just barely enough. So I want more than that in life, and that is a godly ambition. There's nothing wrong with that. So live beyond our lifetime. Now I'm taking you over to Esther, little book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 16. She says, and though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I die, I am willing to die. King James says, if I perish, so be it. I perish. Esther's speaking in reference to a level of commitment she's about to make about her life. And boy, she's laying it all on the line. And that's important because this girl has got something to lay on the line. And she's making a statement that says, I'm going for it. I'm not just going to live my life. I'm going where few dare to go. And if in the process I perish, well, that's just my life. Let me tell you a little bit about Esther. She was an orphan. She was a refugee living in a foreign country. They had been taken captive. Her parents had died when she was very young. Her uncle, named Mordecai, takes her into his home, mentors her, assumes responsibility for her care, her guidance, and her upbringing. Esther is obviously a beautiful young lady, and she's enrolled in a beauty contest. She wins. And after winning the beauty pageant, she goes on to become the queen of Persia as the wife of the king. I hope you can picture this for the first time in her survivor life, just existing, plain Jane, no future, no resources, no opportunities, nothing. For the first time in her boring surviving life, she's finally hit the jackpot. She's got it made. She's driving a new BMW 328i with a special German AMG package on it, chrome wheels, Louis Vuitton handbag, Cartier watch, got all kind of David Uriman jewelry dripping off of her. She got Jimmy Choo shoes on. She got a personal trainer coming to that palace. She's got chefs and dietitians so she can, she can look trim and, and slender and hot. She, <laughs> I'm taking advantage of this all I can. Okay. <laughs> She's got 
she's got, I say, a personal trainer. She's got to imagine, you're queen of a nation. She's got people doing her makeup, doing her hair. I mean, this girl's got her nails being done. She's, she doesn't have to breathe heavy. It's all being done for. She has now gone out of survival into success, and she suddenly is where she's never been, never thought she could go a day in her life. She's living privilege at the moment. Now, she's been mentored and coached by Mordecai all the way. She would never have even gotten this far had it not been for him teaching her how to think, how to behave, how to carry herself, how to sit, how to stand, and present herself in that culture. And you young people, I know it's good, whatever, dude, how are you? You better learn, if you're going to milk this culture and succeed in it, you better learn how to carry yourself how to, how to, how to uh, present yourself well, that is an art you can learn. That doesn't come at birth. You learn that. You learn how to stand, how to speak, how to carry yourself. You know, girls don't throw their legs over the front seat because nobody's there. We see that a lot. Not if you're going to prosper in this economy and in this, this, this culture, you have to learn how to care. Businessmen, how do you carry yourself? How do you groom yourself? It's not about going to heaven. It's about how, just like this young lady was mentored, how to, how to deal with yourself in this culture in order to attract the proper attention and to get ahead and succeed. You still have to know some stuff to get ahead. So I think that speaks to us as parents. God says that, you know, train them when they're young. Nurture your children while they're young, and you won't have to chase them with a tire tool around the house screaming when they get older. Psalms 32 verse 8 says, you can guide them with your eyes. I was raised in the military. That explains a lot about me, if you know my past and background. Oh, that explains it. Yes, I wasn't raised with a boutonniere and manicured fingernails, and praise the Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a combat guy, okay? Put me in Lone Survivor or 300, I'm in. I'm in. I don't care if I'm 70. I'm in. Because I don't care about dying as long as I can kill you in the process. I don't care. So, it says, he will guide you with his eye. If you were, some of you will relate to this. Having a military father who was anything but Christian and mean to about the 12th power, if they took us over to a house and we're playing with the kids in another house and my father and mother are there, if my father saw things getting a little out of order, he would turn that World War II veteran eyeball and look at me. And that eye contact, without a word being spoken, said, freeze or you're a dead man. I will eat you alive. I will burn you on the three-burner pit when we get home. Don't you even think about what you're doing. And we would sort of, my sister and I would just sort of shrink back into vapor, into the shadows. And not a word was spoken because the facial expression through the eyes. Anybody remember or have a home like that? Okay, how about all you married men? Have you had you ever been out and your wife gave you that look? And it wasn't a look of, we're going to have some action tonight, honey. It was a look of, you better not go any further in this conversation or whatever you're doing, you better stop. Anybody ever got that look? Yeah. If you've been married more than three days, you got that look. You know what it is. And here's a psalm saying God wants to guide you with your eyes. So Mordecai is successful in his own right. He's a king's official. He presented the needs of his nation to the king. And nobody knew Esther was a Jewish woman or she could never have been queen. 
But on Mordecai's advice, here's wisdom, she never mentioned it. Don't ask, don't tell. So that she rose to a powerful position as queen without anybody, including her husband, even knowing the difference. Well, now comes a racial assault, a plot of injustice against her people. And here's Esther, the queen of the nation, with Mordecai, who helped engineer and get her where she is. Now, this is an important thought. Just like Esther, you are who you are because of why you are. You are where you are because of why you are. There's no accident in where you are right now. There are no illegitimate children in the kingdom of God. God has a plan for all of our lives. Not one person ever came out of a womb and God said, oops, didn't plan on you. He said, before you were formed in the belly of your mother before conception, I knew you, called you by name, and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. God has a plan for all of our lives. So you may be sitting on a pile of money. You may be sitting in a place of privilege. You may be next to somebody who has power. You have a Christian influence. God says you are who you are and where you are because of why you are. I didn't make you hot, Esther, just so you could walk around and make men salivate. I did this with a key purpose for the future to save a whole nation. You won't see it now, but in my plan, I planned you this way. Don't blow this opportunity. Don't blow your opportunity, whether it's in sports or business or medicine or law or politics. God says you are who you are because of why you are. You are where you are because of why you are. God plans every one of our lives, and we're here today by the appointment and destiny of God. I wasn't supposed to live 70 years ago. You weren't supposed to be born 50 or 60 years ago. We were chosen to live right now in this generation. Now, most fundamentalists would never have approved Esther even being in a beauty contest. You don't even have a life to give, folks, until you have a life. So Esther's in a privileged position. And Mordecai knows this racial thing is about to hit the fan. However, he can't get to her. She's in the palace. He's not. So he puts on sackcloth and ashes, hoping that the word will spread and get to her. Finally, the rumor mill gets around that Mordecai's out in the street with sackcloth and ashes, and they begin to communicate to each other through servants. So here's what Mordecai tells Esther through his servants in chapter 4, verse 14. Esther, if you keep quiet at this time about this plot to destroy a whole nation, if you keep quiet at this time, deliverance for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will still die. But who can say, sweetheart, that you have been elevated to the palace for such a time as this? For such a time as this. I am who I am. I am where I am because of why I am. You know, I used to sit around people, why can't you be like him, and why can't you be like her, and why can't you be like this? Because of my purpose. I am who I am. I am what I am because of why God made me. If he'd have wanted two of us, he could have made two. If two of us are identical, one of us just isn't necessary. God loves diversity. Aren't you glad your body isn't an eyeball or a foot? No, we need every part functioning to have a whole body. God has made all of us unique and special for our purpose, for our why. And so I don't get to choose that. I just get to discover it 
and then celebrate and use it. I am who I am. I am where I am because of why I am. I had to bring myself to say, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not T.D. Jakes. I'm not Mr. Sweet Boot Near Kiss the Baby. I'm not that. <laughs> but God didn't make a mistake. When He drafts you, He knows what you are, and He's going to harness your temperament, your personality, and your style for His glory. You know, one of my mentors told me 30 years ago, he said, Rick, you can tame a wild duck, but you can never make a tame duck wild. Wild thing. I think I love you. And what happens is church domesticates us, makes us get cloned. So we like cookie cutters. And being domesticated, we lose our passion, our adventure, our uniqueness. God says, I don't want you to lose that. I just want you to harness it for my honor and my glory. Don't become who other people want you to be, but celebrate the right value. When Paul, before Paul became a Christian, Paul was killing Christians and putting them in jail. He was passionate. Man, this zealot was tearing the place up. When God got a hold of him, he didn't lose his passion. He just redirected it against the religious Pharisees and expanding the church and the kingdom throughout Asia Minor. God couldn't use that with a parked car and the personality and temperament of a dial tone. Uh, he had to have something to use. So don't get domesticated. God didn't want to conform you. He wants to transform you. But stay uniquely you. Well, I just want to fit in. I don't. God wants you to stand out. You're not an echo. You're a voice. There's only one of you. Make it count, man. Come on. For such a time as this, I've thought, man, why couldn't I have been born then? Why couldn't I be planted over there? Why couldn't I? Shut up, Rick. God put you right where you're supposed to be. Now live it as full, as rich as you can and make as big a difference as you possibly can. And the bigger part of your life may be the next generation who takes that vision and purposes and carries it to a level you never could achieve. I don't know. I just know I'm responsible to do my best with the opportunities I have today. And I don't want to just fit in and be one of the boys and be like everybody else. Eh. Gag me. You're unique. You want people to celebrate you. Ain't nobody like you. That's right. Not going to be anybody like you or me. No two DNAs exactly alike either. Well, I can tell you're excited about that. <laughs> Esther was in the right place at the right time and for the right reason. And the warning was, sweetheart, if you don't use this position of privilege to do what God wants you to do, if you don't move from success to significance, if you don't want to live larger than your present life, I'll get somebody else who'll do it. I liked what the coach at University of Texas said when all the media was saying, well, you, were, you weren't the first choice. You were, I don't know, seventh or eighth or whatever. And I love what he said. He said, I don't care if I was 15th. I'm glad to be here. And I'm going to take this program and make it what Texans want it to be and are used to having, a winning team. I love his position. Somebody else better than me should have been here. They didn't show up. I did. I got the job. Okay? Show up. There are a lot of people that are better 
more gifted, but they didn't answer the call. You get up and answer it. God uses the ordinary to do extraordinary things. God uses the weak things, the base things to humiliate the proud and to expand His kingdom. So I don't care. I'm just glad to have any part in the kingdom. So I don't want somebody else to take my place or my opportunity. Don't look at God's plan for your life as though you got to do it. You get to do it. It's a privilege. And Mordecai says, sweetheart, if you just want to live a life, that's fine. That's fine. If you, if you want to use what God has given you, however, as a platform so you can make a real difference, then speak up, girl. And Esther says, okay, Mort, I'm going for it. I'm going to lay it all on the line. I don't know how this deal's going to come out. And if I perish, I perish. That's just my life. But I choose to live larger than life. Now, there are three levels in life. The first level is survival. At survival level, you're powerless. You need people. They don't need you. You have no assets. You have no influence. You have no power. You're surviving. And then the second level is success. At that level, you become empowered. For some, that might mean finances. For others, education. For somebody else, certification. But you're successful. But if you want to live larger than your present life, then success can't be just about you. God wants to move you from success into significance. David moved from being an unknown shepherd boy to a giant killer. Then he moved into a military leader for King Saul, finally becoming the king of Israel. He moved from obscurity, insignificance, and survival to success. And then David takes the third step. He begins to empower the next generation with wealth, with affirmation, with guidance on how to honor God and build a spectacular temple for God. David led his nation into prosperity, and the people funneled finances into the building of that magnificent wonder of the world, the Temple of Solomon. David himself gave millions out of his own personal wealth. He would be like a Warren Buffett or Bill Gates today. David empowered his son Solomon for a great future. And that's where the Lord comes to him in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, and said, your work will go on and on after your life, David. Now back to Esther. She's an orphan. She's a refugee. She's powerless. She's helpless. She's only a survivor. But then comes a beauty contest, and she's picked. She wins, and then a queen. And then she takes that success and moves to significance by influencing the king into changing a bad law and making a new one for the welfare and benefit of the people. Remember, the people didn't make this law. This king didn't make this law. He gets paper shoved on his desk all day long, and Haman, we're going to find out, is the one who was bigoted and racist and wanted to destroy all the people. He had him sign a paper. He didn't know what he signed, and the result was catastrophic about this deal. So Esther uncovers a plot by Haman, who has a high power position next to the king. And she discovers his intention is to kill Mordecai because he has some influence with the king. That means you could be in a place next to someone with power who's not a Christian, but you are, and you have their ear, and you have the power to influence their decision-making or law by your influence. So that's a place of, of influence. 
So she uncovers this plot to kill Mordecai and her whole nation, and she revealed it to her husband, the king. And of course, the king probably doesn't care about people, but he's married to a little hottie, and when he finds out Haman wants to kill all the Jews, that means her. Now he's upset. He's hot. And he says, I mean, it says he, he screamed at the table, who would do such a thing to my, and she said, him. Boy, that was it. Haman is going to be toast. He was hung on the gallows he had built for Mordecai by order of the king. And then Esther, using her significance because of her success with the king, had Haman replaced with old Uncle Mort. Mordecai took his place. And together, mentor and protege turned the destiny of an entire nation around. That's living larger than your life. Do you think Justin Bieber's living larger than his life? Or he's squandering it? Think of Bono with you too, who used great success in the rock and roll business to turn into a statesman and a diplomat for the poor, an AIDS victim, and heading that, using success and that platform for something significant beyond himself. That's great. I'm serious. I hope our young people don't think that is cute to waste your talent, your gift, and your, your success on, I got drunk last night. I got wasted. Well, goody for you. How much intelligence did that take? One piece of DNA, maybe. Oh, you're bad, bad. I got drunk. Yeah, I got loaded last night. Great for you. And who will remember you? Nobody. Well, anyway. I'm just wondering how far to go. I, I, I feel like if I were in a prison, I could really roll with this thing, but obviously you're a little more cultured and nice, and I, I better just, I'm getting the eye from my wife. I'll, I'll leave it right there. I'm sure Esther would be criticized by religious people today. Oh, yeah. Who does she think she is strutting around in a palace and them Jimmy Shoop Chews and prancing around with all those high society people? I wonder what they would say today. If our young people stepped out, started building businesses, some of our young people went to Wall Street, others got into politics, others became major leaders or influences within corporation, maybe some of our young ladies started being recognized for their acting ability or talent or singing or their beauty. Can you just hear the religious community? Oh my God, what have we come to? Well, maybe an opportunity to become significant. Maybe an opportunity to have some influence because nobody listens to a poor man, the Scripture says. You've now got the attention of people. Use it to step beyond yourself for the kingdom of God. You can't get from survival to significance. You've got to go from survival to success before you can then become significant. That's why I want you to succeed big because then you can do something significant for the kingdom and for others with your life. Now, let's do a quick review of five keys to live larger than your present life. We talked about these last time. Number one, serve the purpose of God. Isaiah 9, 6 says, of His kingdom there shall be no end. God's kingdom is eternal. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. They are not eternal. But what God starts His kingdom, there will never be an end of it. So I want to hook up my vision with the purpose of God. Otherwise, my life, my days will be like grass and fade away. And when they put you in a casket, it's all over. But if you hook up with the purpose of God, your work can go on and on. If you live without a vision, you will never get beyond survival. 
And if you only live for your vision, you'll never get beyond success. But if you live with vision and connect it with God's purpose, you can live in a place of significance. I would say David Robinson has used his success to be significant for the kingdom of God. The little general, Avery Johnson, we had in our old church, I'd say he's used his success. Monty Williams, coach of the, of the Bob, now the Pelicans now, New Orleans Pelican NBA team, has used his humble, insignificant background and abusive past by in-laws and people to become successful and to use it with Bible studies and a great testimony to be proud of. We've had him speak on numbers of occasion. So I can give you examples from every race and every background where people used their success to be significant. Serve the purpose of God. Don't just get caught up in your own dreams, your own life. Make sure whatever you're doing, you give a commitment to the purpose of God. Number two, be ambitious with your life. Don't waste your life in a lazy boy recliner with a remote control saying, I'm just hanging in there till Jesus takes us home. Just a few more weary years and I'll fly away. Just build me a cabin in the corner of glory. Who taught you those songs? They're not in the Bible. That is narrow-minded, small, pygmy, fly-swatting living. God said, I called you to live life abundantly, not mosquito life. Your life is a gift from God. Don't waste it. Be ambitious with your life. Put forth the effort to make a difference. What kind of an effort are you putting forth? God said to Abraham, look north, look south, look east and west. All the land you can see, I'll give it to you. Meaning if you can't see it, you can't have it. What do you see? Well, I just want enough to make it to the end of the week. Well, that's all you'll ever have. If you can't see it, you can't have it. So I hope you see a bigger future, a brighter future, a better marriage, a better job, a better career, better health. I hope you can see a whole better life because it's out in front of you and you can build that. But if you can't see it, if you can't envision it, that's vision, you can't have it. So be ambitious with your life. Kirk Bennett, founder of Young Leaders Academy, turns high-risk boys into caring leaders. Inner-city young men are brought together where they learn to set goals, to strive for excellence and to learn to value themselves and to care for other people. These boys are sent out into the community every week mowing lawns, planting trees, picking up trash, serving at soup kitchens, playing checkers at local retirement homes, doing something beyond themselves. Several years ago, Kirk was featured in Oprah's magazine, and he said, quote, this is God's work we're doing, and this is how God's work gets accomplished in the earth, through people just like us. It is not wrong to be ambitious and to dream big with your life. Think big, dream big, ask big, care big, serve big, forgive big. Be a big, don't be a mosquito. We got a God who says, anything too hard for me? Ain't seen it yet. I can open the womb of a 90-year-old woman without drugs or chemicals. I can make a 100-year-old man have a baby. I don't need Cialis. I can back up the sun 10 degrees for Hezekiah. I can open the Red Sea. I can rain manna down from heaven. I can get water out of a rock. What you talking about anything too hard for me? Ask big things of me. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall. Well, I asked her out on a date, and she said no. Ask again. 
She's probably waiting on somebody else who'll never call. You keep calling. <laughs> what do you care if you're number 15th? As long as you get in the door, who cares? <laughs> Sorry. I want a better table at a restaurant. Ask for it. Well, she's taking us over here. She's taking you over where the girl hadn't got anybody waiting on her by the kitchen door. Don't go there. You're paying the bill. Ask her for a better table. What if she says no? Well, then you'll have to go sit down. But ask. 90, 99% of the time, she'll say, why, certainly, sir. I know how that game is played. Ask for an upgrade. Ask for a discount. Ask, ask, ask. We've got an overcautious, little bit satisfies me kind of a life. I wonder, what happened to the, the passion to achieve, to build, to conquer? God takes ordinary people, does extraordinary things with them, gives us the whole Bible so we can see the sum of what He's done through life and said, if I've done it for them, I'll do it for you. Come on, put me to the test, big boy. Ask me for something big. Some of you, you settle for too little. We've got a great big God, and we settle for scraps when He wants us to dine at a banquet table. You think the best church, the biggest church has ever been built, or the best business? Shoot, no. They're waiting to be invented right now. People are holding them in their brain, holding them on patents, haven't even stepped out, and I don't know how to get the money. Well, ask. Ask for the scholarship. Ask for the loan. Ask. Ask the guy to lower the price on the car, lower the price on the house. Be ambitious with your life. When I went to school and when I went to college, I know it was a long time ago, but nobody in church ever preached to me about dreaming big, risking big, having faith for something beyond yourself. Nobody ever challenged me. It was always, you know, 50 years, a gold watch, and retire, and shut up. Nobody took a chance. Nobody did anything big. Nobody got out of the boat. Nobody walked on the water. We didn't see any miracles. Nobody dared to dream anything. Then Walt Disney showed up. Thank God for Walt. Yeah, he dreamed. The imagination. What, what's possible? You think the best gadgets have been invented? Now, now. You may be sitting on it. I don't know. Be ambitious with your life. It is a, it is a credit to this great God who made you. Anything too hard for the Lord? No, he says in Scripture. Pour your life into something bigger than yourself. I said, well, I, I hope we could just put some cardboard up down there in the student activity room. Maybe we could get somebody to donate some stained old carpet to put on the floor. Maybe somebody got a broke old 20-year-old TV. They'll loan us. We have some games on it. I want to possess... 70 acres. I want to possess the gymnasiums, the, in, the recreation center. Dream big. Don't you hit me for dreaming big. You want to live like a worm? Go ahead. I want to soar like an eagle. I want to believe this God who saved me and took me from nothing can take me a lot higher than we are right now. And I want you to believe He wants you to go higher too. Soar like an eagle. God didn't create you to be a turkey. Mount up with wings as an eagle. Some of you are bumping along and God gave you wings. You ought to fly. It's quicker. It's easier. <laughs> okay. Number three, don't write me any letters. <laughs> don't be distracted by small stuff. Yeah, and that's what your letter would be, small stuff. If you're driving your car on a busy highway in heavy traffic and there's a fly buzzing around inside, for God's sake, ignore it. Let all the windows down. Ignore it. If you try to catch that fly and let it capture your attention, you could end up dead or killing somebody else. Over a fly. There are a lot of things in our lives that are merely nuisances. 
Just small stuff, not really even important. Learn early what to ignore that are not worth your time or energy. They just break your focus and take you off track. Think about people who have dared to risk and people said ugly things about them or blogged certain things about them or the the media said, and yet they went right on. Well, she got that job on the Olympic sled team because she's popular. Yeah, and you're ugly and not popular, and that's why she got the job. So put on some makeup, drop a few pounds, and maybe you can get on the team. (laughs) What a dumb thing. See, we just sit back and don't achieve and criticize. We, everybody's got negatives. Everybody in this room has got faults. And so what do we notice? A desire, a dream, a, 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 somebody wants to achieve something, and we just criticize, nitpick. Well, he raised, the, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, and all the religious leaders said was he didn't wash his hands. I'm thinking, my God, nobody has ever opened blind eyes. They said, Yes, he healed on the Sabbath. We'll have to report this to the denominational secretary and turn this in. (laughs) Healed on the Sabbath? You guys ain't healed on any day. No day. Ever. Can't you at least say, wow. No. Let's strain a gnat and swallow a camel. Let's miss Messiah because of a dumb day or some dumb rule and miss the big picture. Jesus shook them up all the time, but they were always concerned about little things. I hope you won't be petty. Issues divide people. Purpose unites people. I don't think my wife and I agree on everything. We love each other. Been together 40 years. Do you have to agree on everything? Do you have to agree on everything in the Bible to go to heaven? No, but you better agree on Jesus. But you don't have to agree on everything. We may find out we're all wrong about something. It's some obscure thing. Big deal. Who cares? Obviously, nobody. (laughs) I don't either. I just want to keep the main thing the main thing. Somebody's making a difference. Somebody's doing well financially. And all the average sit-around watch Christian notices, yeah, but they pick out something that's wrong with them. You can pick out something wrong with everybody if you want to. But celebrate. If they're making a difference, God will use them. To your dismay, He'll use people you don't like. You know, I discovered a long time ago, I hope you wake up to it before I did, God doesn't hate everybody you do. (laughs) Number four, (laughs) number four, respect the mentors and protégés God puts in your life. Respect the mentors and protégés God puts in your life. Mordecai's respect for Esther fueled her life and momentum. It got her in a position to become all she could be. He respected this young, this young protege's life, and he saw the future in her. And when you live larger than your life, you empower the people coming after you. You respect those in front of you. I don't want my children to copy my method or style, but I do want them to develop a, a, an absolute confidence that God loves them, God's for them. Don't you lose that connection. You honor God all the days of seek first. That much you must do. Become a generous person. Treat everybody alike. Do not discriminate based on race or culture. Don't you be that way. You live big. Don't live petty. Don't be cheap. I hope those values go into my children and then my children's children for the future. Don't copy a style or a method. That's going to change. 
Let's empower people coming after us. At least dream big, risk big, dare big. Well, I might fall on my face. Yeah, but it's a worthy goal to fall on my face for. I'd rather die for something worthwhile than just live for nothing. You're going to die anyway. Die for something. Israel wouldn't go in and possess the promised land because they were afraid they'd be killed. They were afraid of war. Well, guess what? They didn't go in. They didn't possess the land, and they died anyway. But they died for nothing. Die for something worth giving your life to. Some of you young people who just graduated or soon will, think about giving back to the young people behind you. Emerge, elevate, because life's not all about you. And number five, last, you don't have permission to stop until you finish. I tweeted the other day on my Twitter account, anybody remember the name of the guy who quit? Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody will ever remember the quitter, and neither will you. You got to finish what you start. Don't walk out of high school and take a minimum wage job just because it's convenient. Check out with your creator to see in some cases he may want you to stay in for more education and turn you into a millionaire. Don't quit too soon. Some of you young married couples are getting tired of each other after three years. We done slugged out 40. Come on, suck it up. You can make it. Fight for a good marriage. Get tough. It's not easy. A lot of them want to make a change. I think I might have married the wrong person. I never even asked my wife or God that. I don't. It's too late. After 40 years, what are you going to do? It's too late. I'm in. I signed the contract. I made the payments. Don't get, that's a, don't sit around, gee, I wonder if I married the wrong. It's too late. Make it the best relationship you can. What a dumb question. I never thought, but you got to get around Christians to get these kind of questions. How, well, Brother Rick, how did you know to marry Cindy? How did you? I said, I thought she was hot. I liked her. That was the start. <laughs> what a, you think I, I wanted to feel her spirit. <laughs> no, I wanted to hold fast to that, which was good. <laughs> but we dated, and we went to church, and, it, and I said, yeah, this, this is good. She took me, I took her, but I didn't. I, I, you get too cerebral about that. I don't know if I'm taking the right job. Well, take the best one on the table and give it your best. And God will take that and promote you. If that's not your final spot, He'll use that and your excellence and promote you to a better one. Just start to, don't get bogged down all this petty stuff or you'll never get started. Commit yourself to something bigger than yourself. Some of you could be raising a mayor of San Antonio, a future governor of Texas. Somebody else may be raising the next Bill Gates. And you said, well, I'm not on stage and I don't have many gifts. You may be shaping the future of a daughter or a son for something phenomenal. When you stand in heaven, you may be at the front of the line, not the back of the line. Look what you did. So remember, you can't quit till you finish. Jesus said, Father, I finished the work you gave me to do. Paul said, I finished my course. You don't quit because you get tired or frustrated, because we all do. You got an Esther to raise. You got a generation to empower. So today, if you have wealth, if you have influence, if you have capital, if you have a position, a platform, you have great talent, remember, you're who you are because of why you are. And if it weren't for God's hand on your life and mine, creating you like He did, you wouldn't have what you have. You wouldn't be where you are. So you are who you are because of why you are, and we're here for such a time as this. Let it be said that at our day summit, we didn't back off of challenge, commitment, 
or sacrifice. Let it be said that in our day, we took every opportunity given to us to commit, to dedicate, to move forward, to use our talent, our resources for something outside of ourself. And let it be said by the next generation, when they look back on us old guys, they gave it all they had. They gave it their best. And we didn't just live our life. We made the decision to live larger than this present life. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.